Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Star Wars 7x7 episode 1851. Today, a summer rewind episode in honor of Anthony Bresnikan and all the incredible work he did in Star Wars journalism while he was with Entertainment Weekly. Let's go. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode and here's the deal. Uh, earlier this year, Anthony Bresnikan announced that he was departing Entertainment Weekly, that he would unfortunately no longer be covering the Star Wars galaxy on their behalf and that's some incredible Star Wars journalism that he provided in addition to the rest of his work as a senior writer for Entertainment Weekly. But the light that he shined on the production of Star Wars movies in this new era was unprecedented. And so in honor of the work that he did, I wanted to share a couple of interviews that I did with him that highlight the depth and breadth of his work and of his insight into the production process as well as the process of bringing cover stories to Entertainment Weekly that are based on Star Wars. So today is the first of a two-part interview I did with him while I was in Ireland and he was back home in the U.S. in advance of Celebration Europe. And at the time, the Rogue One cover story had just broken. So he talked about what it takes to build a cover story and also some insight into reshoots for the movies and a whole host of other topics. So that's what's on tap for today. It is a longer form interview compared to what you're used to on the podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part one of my interview from June of 2016 with Anthony Bresnikan, then of Entertainment Weekly. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us for Star Wars 7x7. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Fantastic. And um, do I gather correctly that you are not coming across the pond for Star Wars Celebration Europe this year? No. Where'd you hear that? That's news to me. I'm booking my flight today. Are you really? Yeah. I had heard that you were not... Uh, I think I saw a tweet that said you were not going to be moderating any panels this time, but save a seat for you in the audience. I didn't know if that was tongue-in-cheek or not. No, no, I'm not moderating anything this year. Um, but I... I I'll be there. I, no, that wasn't tug-in-cheek at all. I, I was serious. <laughs> save me a seat. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. All right, then I will save you a seat. I got the whole family going. So, yeah, we'll have we'll just spread all of our stuff out and make sure that <laughs> you're all taken care of. Do you Have you been looking at what um, what panels you plan on attending? No, <laughs> at all. Like I have barely – like I said, I've uh, – uh, I'm booking my flight today. Uh, I'm aware, obviously, when the dates are and all that. And I've talked to um, uh, various people about some of the things they're planning. But uh, i got to study the schedule and look at some of the other stuff. I've been just up to my eyeballs in Rogue One and uh, a couple of other stories. And another one, kind of top secret project that's not Star Wars related, but I think you know will be in interesting to the same audience. Uh, I can't say exactly what that is, but I'm closing that story this week. And then I'll be turning all my attention to Celebration 
and sorting out my schedule for sure. <laughs> so since you brought the Rogue One story up, let me ask you how this came about. I mean, of course, there were reports about the reshoots that were happening that broke in page six of the New York Post. And then there were rumors abounding about what the reshoots actually meant and whether it was going to be, you know, 40 percent of the film, 50 percent of the film. Oh, it's just, you know, Mads Mikkelsen chiming in saying they're just touching up things here and there. So from your perspective, how do you approach the story? I mean, do sources unnamed as they are reach out to you or do you have a list of unnamed sources that you are contacting? How does this work behind the scenes? Well, nobody reaches out to me. I, I reached out to my own sources when I heard the, well, actually, frankly, like I, I, I challenge anyone to show me the big budget movie that doesn't have reshoots. Like, is there one? I don't think there is. I can't think of one. I don't think so either. Uh, um, you know, Ghostbusters had reshoots. Uh, X-Men reshoots. Every, every one of these big budget event tent poles has some measure of reshoots. And when, when, when a, somebody says they're built into the schedule, that's not a lie. That's the truth. Like, you know, Captain America, Civil War, they all have some element of reshoots. Now, so I'd heard that for a long time coming that uh, that Rogue One had things they wanted to fix. I don't think that's a big deal. So um, the thing was when the New York Post reported that, it, that there was this massive upheaval and there were test screenings and that the test screenings went badly and, and it was strange coming from that source, from the New York Post, which doesn't typically cover this sort of thing. Right. Uh, at least in the Star Wars world. Well, that, that was, you know, that raised my eyebrow I started putting in calls to, to people I knew who worked on the movie, like, hey, what's going on? You know, and everybody has an NDA and is is, is locked up to varying degrees, and you get a variation of uh, nothing really to say, just the usual thing, and no comment whatsoever. Then, over the next couple of days, there were just a lot more reports and increasingly dire reports <laughs> posting <laughs> online. And, you know, you just sort of uh, run another circuit through all of your sources. And by, I guess it was like maybe Thursday or Friday of that week, people were ready to talk because it was sort of snowballing, you know? And I think it was like, wait a minute. We didn't want to talk about, you know, what we were up to. But, all right, at this point, like, people are kind of running away with things. So then I think that that initial report, which was full of, you know, anonymous sources for very good reason. Uh, they that kind of countered some of the magnitude of the other rumors, and um, and really there was no, there never were any test screenings. You know, I think uh, one source told me that like basically two people at Disney had seen the movie, Bob Iger and Alan Horn, and and so there was no possibility of like a broader Disney contingent weighing in on this movie. It just didn't. That's not possible, you know. Uh, but that they did have problems with the story. And so, you know, that's why I feel the people who were telling me what they told me were telling me the truth because they were upfront about some of the problems the movie was having. It's having about five weeks of reshoots, which is not small. You know, it's not like a week of reshoots. Right. But, you know, the explanation for that was it's a big cast. Not all the cast's reshoot scenes are together. So it's not like you're bringing back nine people for a couple of days shooting. You're bringing back two people and then doing two or three days with them, 
maybe one of those people sticks around and another person joins them and then they do two or three days. You know what I mean? So suddenly there's a week and a half for you, you know? Uh, then you have, uh, you bring in a couple of other pairs. So the timing of it and the coordination of it takes a while. Okay, like that explanation makes sense to me. And then they explained what the problem was, which was they felt like they needed some of the emotional scenes in the movie needed to have deeper emotional resonance, which is exactly what J.J. Abrams felt The Force Awakens needed when he brought it back for reshoots. So, you know, uh, there are a lot of the scenes between Ray and Finn were reshot because they wanted to make it more playful, more fun, more energetic between them. And some of the stuff was uh, reshot with Han Solo and, and his big emotional scene. Again, just because when they went to edit, they felt like, hmm, if I could have an extra piece right here, a little, you know, sometimes just a simple shot, hands grabbing a lightsaber. Um, it's sort of like a writer going through their, their draft of a book or a short story and saying, like, I think I need to pace this a little better. Add a line here, take out a line of dialogue, and maybe replace it with something new. Well, in film, you can't just retype that. You've got to reshoot it. And big budget films have the means and the resources to do that. So the explanations I was getting from these sources, it added up to me, including that there was no possible way you could reshoot 40% of a big budget film, a, 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 an effects heavy film like Rogue One, and have it in theaters by December. Because it's not just a matter of meeting the December 16th release date. It's not like a school term paper where you can like, Finish it the night before. Right. You've got to wrap the movie like in early fall, September or October, to get the music and the sound design and and the sound mix all complete and the color correction. You know what I mean? Like there's a whole technical process that happens to a movie after it's quote unquote finished, you know, once the edit is locked, when the picture is locked. So, you know, to have that to, to, to say that you're going to reshoot 40% of a movie or 50% of a movie in July and have it done by September, is, it's just, it's bonkers. So, um, you know, I put together my report and I think what it did, it confirmed some things that I don't think anybody knew, which was that Tony Gilroy was now going to be joining and directing some sequences. You know, they described it as second unit work, which, which it is. Uh, Gareth Edwards is still working in the movie. If he had been fired and uh, Tony Gilroy had been brought in, uh, I think, yeah, suddenly that's a bigger problem for the movie. But Gareth is still working. When I interviewed him later on on uh, about this cover, he was he was frank. He said, like, yeah, I'm tired because I'm going back tomorrow morning to shoot more stuff. And Tony's working in tandem. So you have these two directors who are trying to, you know, shoot these various... Uh, different scenes together and they brought in a guy they trust who they feels good at, at dialogue and emotion so um that's the state of things and in some regards i think that makes it less dire than some of the really apocalyptic reports you know in, in other cases i think it's an interesting look at uh at a movie that could be better you know and it's trying to be better so you know i'm kind of in the middle about it uh, personally opinion wise like well it's always better to turn in something that's photo ready when you write a story, but I I I respect the process and you know I hope I'm hoping for the best. It sounds like they're trying to make a good film. And you yourself are a writer. I mean, not just you know a journalist writer, but also a writer writer. And so and you work with editors, and so you know 
what that process is like. Well, sure. I mean, uh, at a very intimate level. Yeah. It's like, I think George Carlin had a routine and he doesn't understand how any writer could commit suicide. Like, how would they ever make it past the draft of the note? Like, (laughs) keep coming back. (laughs) Eh, A little better. You know, so um, what do you think of it? I'm curious your thoughts. You know, I've been trying to to, to sample other people's opinions of this. It's funny because you have to trust your sources. You have to trust what you're hearing. And you can doubt your sources, too, if you're like, come on, that doesn't add up. It just doesn't make sense. But what I'm hearing, you know, what I'm reporting, I feel like, I don't know, doesn't that make sense to people? It makes sense to me. Uh, it's convincing and persuasive. So when I finally got a chance to talk to Kathleen Kennedy and Gareth Edwards, they were also up front. Like, I don't think they really were dying to talk about the reshoots, but they explained, yeah, we wanted to punch up the action. We wanted to um, uh, deepen some of the character beats. And and also, I think, uh, fix a few little like things that just didn't make sense. Sometimes when you're writing something, you have to think like, okay, at what point do I have to stop holding the audience's hand and guide them you know where at what point do i trust the audience to make the the narrative leaps with me and sometimes you trust them too much and then you show the film to some people who go yeah i don't understand how they got from point a to point b or how how what the motivation is here and then you've got to go back and say okay well maybe we we, we, we do have to explain that more so they're actually little just sort of plot points that they needed to clarify so i you know I give them kudos for at least being willing to field the questions from me because it'd be very easy to say, well, we don't talk about that or, you know, no, no comment or we're not going to talk about the process of making the film or, um, oh, it's no big deal. You know, no, there's nothing to it. There's, uh, I think anybody who's working on a film wants to protect it and certainly they're trying to say people who are panicking over the movie don't need to panic. We're going to do the best we can here. But, um, you know they're putting an element of spin on it. Sure, they're putting the the best foot forward, but their explanation also makes sense. What so, do you think? Um, well, let me ask you one follow up question um, before sure. I get into that, which is: uh, Does that mean that the Rogue One cover story that broke, you know, with all the photos and all the additional information that is unrelated to the reshoots, was that already on the docket? Had that been scheduled, and it just happened that? the the story about the reshoots breaking sort of dovetailed with this planned editorial calendar situation well, and it got all the, woven in together? The story about the reshoots breaking happened in the midst of my reporting for this. So um, are, are you asking, like, did we get the cover story because we wrote about the reshoots? No, I think what I'm wondering is, since you mentioned Spin being a part of this whole situation... And I think what happened is a classic PR thing where a one-day story became a five-day story, and they finally said, you know, okay, we we actually have to get out ahead of this because it's not just going to die down. And that whole 40% thing, I heard it and I thought, you know, the only way that makes sense is if they said, like, okay, there are 120 pages in a script, and so on 48 pages of that 120-page script, there, is, there are changes that we're going to make, even if it's just <laughs> right. adding like yeah. a shot of you know, somebody's you know, hand on a blaster or something like that. Like, all right, that's you know, one page out of 120, and like, let's count them all up or something like that. That was the right. only thing that made sense to me. But I guess. That, that reminds me of like the naked gun, where it's like, well, he's got a 50-50 chance of survival. Of course, <laughs> there's only a 10% chance of that. Yeah. 
Um, no, but the I can tell you the cover story was in the works for months. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been talking about making a Rogue One cover <laughs> probably since Rogue One has been announced. But initially, I was hoping we would do it in uh, March or April ahead of the trailer. Mm, okay. Uh, we weren't able to to coordinate that for a lot of reasons. You know, partly just because we have other cover commitments, and, uh, and uh, I think uh, you know the timing didn't exactly work out for for that. But it was still also, earlier we, than what you did for the Force Awakens. I think. Am I right? Was what? I what? think you, I think the first big thing about the Force Awakens happened in the fall preview issue, which was in August of last year. That's right. That would have been like mid. That usually comes out mid August. Yeah. And that first bit. That was the first cover story. Now it's nowhere near the first time we wrote about the movie. Oh but, gosh, no. Um, you know, <laughs> they also. But here's what I'll tell you: is that the Star Wars celebration last year was not in July. It was in March. April. So what you had in March was the great big. Um, rollout of that and we had big features in the magazine as a result of that of course and then I moderated that that panel so like I would say yeah we we had a trailer for Rogue One but we didn't have that big three ring circus you know so there had been talk of maybe doing it in March or April the EW cover story like I said that didn't work out and then the timing came to June and of course that's right before celebration so you know it kind of it kind of matches up, but yeah, that was in the works for months. I was in the process of uh, trying to set up interviews for the Rogue One cover when all of this news broke and reaching out to people. And, you know, I've got my sources from the previous movie and have connections to this movie. And I did my best to reach out to as many people as I could to try to figure out what's exactly going on here, you know? Yeah, and there was a cynical part of me that thought to myself, well, you know, the way Lucasfilm might decide to get ahead of the story is to say, here's all the information about the reshoots, and we'll have a couple people come out and and talk a little more frankly about it. And by the way, let's also drop all this other stuff on it at the same time and get the conversation moving forward (laughs) in a different direction. No, no. this this was always, the cover was always in the works. And uh, And like I said, almost came out a little earlier. But the uh, the timing of it in the summer that was that's been set for months, frankly. Like that was because we we planned out our covers months in advance. Un- unfortunately, sometimes things happen like Prince dying. Yeah, that just kind of like, shakes things okay, up. Now we've got to push a cover, and you know, it's like those games. You remember those games we had when we were kids? I don't think they uh, still have them today. But like, <laughs> you're sliding around the little squares uh, to make a puzzle, and there's like one open space, and you're trying to make the, you know make the face or something, make whatever the puzzle is. Right. It's kind of like that with covers is you have like maybe one open space that kind of shifts around and then you have emergencies where you've got to pull something and slide it around. But this is, was always, it was, we were talking about doing it in the spring and then it became locked for this day. And that was never going to change. Uh, I think what, what threw a monkey wrench into the situation was the fact that this New York post story broke and made a big, uh, made a big stink about reshoots that got snatched up. I think what happened is, I suspect what happened is uh, a lot of people had heard rumors that they were gonna, there were things that didn't quite click in the movie. And then when the New York Post posted its thing, suddenly everybody ran to the internet with those. Right. You know? Or they called people they thought were in the know who heard um, 
you know, oh, I, I heard Felicity Jones isn't going to be available for, for eight weeks in the summer, you know, or, or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe that means there are eight weeks of shooting. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, maybe she's got other commitments or is going away, just isn't available. Like, that's how a lot of these rumors spread, is an agent finds out that an actor isn't available or they're doing reshoot, then they tell a filmmaker, and the filmmaker tells somebody, and that makes its way to a journalist. And I think... I think there was a big game of telephone happening with this. And what, I've, what kind of pissed me off, actually, is like, I'm here trying to talk to primary sources, and then you have, like, kind of rumor regurgitation sites yep. that really don't, don't interview anyone, never go on a set visit, never uh, actually sit down and have a conversation with anybody on a movie at any point in the production or during the release who are then suddenly acting like they're in the know about something, you know? And I'm not talking about um, any of the primary reports on this, because I think those guys are all pretty pretty solid and have their contacts, like making Star Wars. I throw no shade at them. I respect what they do. Mm-hmm. I think they get a lot, of, a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff, a lot of really solid scoops. Uh, New York Post is kind of a wacky newspaper, but okay. Uh, but I think there are some... That really, you know, I'm, and again, I'm not going to name names because I just don't want to get into a uh, like a shit slinging contest with anybody. But um, there are some that just all they, all they do is wake up in the morning and go to other news sites and then and then kind of loot and pilfer their their writing, you know. And they're going to go and say, "Well, I don't believe this report." Well, okay, well then don't pick it up, you know. And um, but at the same time, like you're not really talking to anybody, so don't act like you're in the know just because you have the the, the Stephen Colbert truthiness vibe. Like, right. oh, my, this feels truthy to me. Like, I don't, I, I'm going to believe the worst in this movie, and anything that counters that has to be spin. Like, come on. Uh, I I was very heartened that people like Drew McQueenie and and, and others, uh, you know, who actually have connections to the the geek movie world and the people who make these movies, not just the people who opine about them, backed up my report and said that sounds about legit from what they're hearing. So, um, yeah, I stand by everything. I mean, I've, have I ever led you guys astray? I would say no, and I'm uh, no. absolutely I, grateful you know, for that. I don't report anything unless it's 100% dead to rights. I hear rumors about somebody's casting or I hear about a project that's maybe 50% or 60%. Like, I'm not going to stick my name out there on it because there's too much terrible reporting out there where people are trying to get casting scoops on each other in the trades, and they're reporting Johnny Depp's going to be in this Wes Anderson movie. Well, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and you can try you can get so far ahead of yourself that you fall right off a cliff. So I am very careful that I don't report anything unless I'm 100% sure of it. And, uh, and you know, I think that served me well, because if I, if I print it, you can count on it. And I think the thing that sold it for me, like finally, and and put whatever cynicism to bed, was that after I read the final cover um, package on Rogue One, and I looked back at the initial stories that you had posted or that EW posted from you about the reshoots, and what I imagine happened was, as you said, you know, you had been working on this whole cover package for months, and the reshoots came up, and you started talking to them about that. It, it read as though upon going back for it that you were actually picking stuff out of the work in progress and sharing that information as the counter to the um, the whole rumor and gossip telephone mongering sort of situation. Oh, that I no, nah, not really. Like it was more like 
I I hadn't talked to any of the quoted sources yet in the in the cover story that we did. Oh, really? Okay. And like I was reaching out at that point. I was scheduling some things, but I hadn't actually done uh, maybe like one one or two. Uh, and then I started, but not, not like Kathy or or uh, Gareth or Gareth at that point. So, like, I was reaching out to other people I know. I'm not going to, and this is where I'm just going to have to say, like, i got to throw up a wall and protect the people who talk to me because they're sticking their necks out. But, um, you know, I start reaching out and saying, like, okay, so what's going on? Because I'm about to do this cover story. What am I walking into? Like, what's the state of this movie? And like I said, at some points I would get a comment or, you know, like sort of a terse email response like I can't get into this or, or or something like that other times like yeah let's talk in a day or two let's uh, maybe maybe I'll, maybe I can say something and then gradually I picked up some information but like you know I check around and try to find out like what am I walking into because then when you sit down with a primary source on the record you want to be like uh, you know meet the press you want to be loaded for bear and have your ducks in a row to use two animal metaphor- metaphors right. but like you want to know what you're talking about so that you aren't spun, you know, so that you can say, but wait a minute, I'm hearing you guys are working for three months reshooting this movie. What do you mean it's five weeks? You know, but but, but the story's kind of matched up. Right. I think that's also um, what I find in this business is if you report the truth and you're fair, even if there's something you don't, you get out there that people don't want written about, you know, like, I'm sure, you know, they would rather have had people not talk about the reshoot situation. But as long as you're fair about it, it's sort of like, okay, fair and square. You, you, you got us. You, 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 you scooped some news. You found out about Tony Gilroy. Um, and there's no hard feelings over that because you were fair, right? Fair right. is fair. Mm-hmm. It's when you say, well, I heard Christopher McQuarrie is working on this movie. And everybody tells you, including Christopher McQuarrie, uh, I did some rewrites like months and months ago, like on the script before shooting, but no, I'm not working on it. And you insist, like, to me, that's what's baffling is like, you have these stories that are, have like gigantic holes in them. Like they didn't have test screenings. Christopher McQuarrie is not working on the movie. And no and one asked him about it. <laughs> clinging, people are clinging to those reports as if they're gospel. And it's like, they've already been shot full of holes. Like, why are you doubting the one story that hasn't been uh, hasn't been assailed by anybody? Like that hasn't been questioned. That hasn't that or at least uh, not that it hasn't been questioned, but that it it holds up. So uh, you know, I, I don't know what to say about it, but I find it curious that people really want to want this movie to go down. I, I find it a curious way for fans to behave, especially. I'm 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 just surprised that that the people who are gunning for it are not more. Um, I just ho- hoping it turns out all right, you know. Well, what do you make of that? Um, as somebody do, who's in the fan community, um, I do think that um, that people are getting really nervous about Disney handling the the whole Star Wars franchise, and there's definitely a segment of the fan base that is, you know, for as much as people didn't like the prequels, or at least a certain segment of the fan base didn't like the prequels, they, you know, almost feel as though 
well, you, Lucas is better than Disney. Like, we'd rather have Lucas back than have Disney have their hands on it. And that Disney is now going to saturate the market with it. And that they're going into all these new avenues that, gee, maybe we don't want them to go through because we wanted it to be the saga movies and for it to be special and to be important and to be scarce. And, you know, it'll only come out like a couple of times every 10, 15 years or something like that. Um, you know, we were all trained to have the Star Wars movies delivered in a certain fashion. And I was talking with Chris Taylor um, last month, and he talked about how when Lucas was originally planning the prequel trilogy that they were going to come out one after the other after the other, like Peter Jackson did the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, you know, that would have been an entirely different situation. But I think we got trained for this um, sort of very precious way that Star Wars movies are delivered in oh. fandom. And I think a lot of people who are very vocal in the fan community want it to stay that way and are purists about it. And you know, like, you know, like you know, many other things in life and politics and sports and all these other things, you get a very small vocal fan base and they can steer the conversation sometimes. Yeah, I guess so. I think maybe we're getting a little spoiled too. What do you think of that? <laughs> you know, like, that we're uh, going to have so much that now we. Yeah, you do, I think when you get a new Star Wars movie every every year, mm -hmm. that it's easier to um, develop a kind of cynicism about it. It's kind of like if you got to go to Disneyland mm -hmm. every weekend. You know, it's sort of like I I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's too much. You yeah, know? maybe there's. Maybe there's there's a limit to the amount that people want because Marvel has its movies. They come out two two a year, and people seem to be enthusiastic about that. But they're various, very different characters. You know, the, I know it's the same universe, but the, but they feel very separate from each other. And I think that's the experiment that they're doing with this film. They're trying to make it a war film, mm -hmm. and that's the other thing. I know fans were worried, like, oh, it's not going to be a war film because of the reshoots. Right? They might be adding jokes, like that. They, they might that might be. That might be happening. They might be adding moments of levity. I actually think that um, one of the primary factors that led to the concern about Rogue One was Batman versus Superman. Mm -hmm. That you've got a film people are uh, that's heavy, perhaps. And again, I haven't seen it, so I'm like, I'm kind of speculating here with you. But the industry itself looked at Batman versus Superman and said, okay, what's the takeaway we can all learn from this? And that's, okay, audiences don't seem to want the grim, dark superhero story, right? They don't want the grim, the dark thing. The mm -hmm. really, um, Maybe. Do they or do they not? You know, I think they're open to was, it. Was that not a big, a, a huge complaint about Batman versus Superman? I think the, I, I heard a lot of the complaints being it was just handled in a very ham-handed fashion overall. And it just didn't seem like it was, um, like it was put together very well. And that it, you know, sort of overplayed its hand a little too much in, in the scenes where it had um, Cyborg and The Flash and all these other things previewed and it was like, oh, they basically slipped a preview for their next four movies in here and it was just so blatant in the way that they handled it. that Sure, um, but there, you cannot deny there were huge complaints about Superman being joyless, he's not taking any happiness and saving people, he's not flying around with a smile on his face. There, were, uh, There is no way you're going to convince me that there were not complaints about the darkness of Batman versus Superman. And I think that, the, uh, that that's something that people, it's various studios, not just Lucasfilm and Disney, kind of 
stepped back and looked looked at and said, okay, are we giving people what they want with this? So with Rogue One, what I find interesting is when I talk to Kathy Kennedy and Gareth Edwards on the record, like they're this okay, this is for the this is for the cover story, like tell me what is this movie? And they say it's a war movie. It's gritty, it's a it's a soldier saga. A soldier story, rather separate from the saga films. Like if they were changing the tone of that, wouldn't they say, "Actually, no, it was never going to be a soldier story. It was never going to be a war film. It's always a Star Wars film." But instead, they kind of doubled down on the promise they made initially with the movie. So when they say that, I think, okay, here was their chance to pivot and change course and change direction, at least in terms of the narrative that people are expecting. But instead, they stuck to it. So mm-hmm. that leads me to think that's what you're going to get because why sell it if that's not what you're going to get now do I think it'll be as heavy as Saving Private Ryan or Band of Brothers no I think it'll be the Star Wars version of those stories which is a little lighter a bit more fantastic but essentially a battle story set in the Star Wars universe and I think it's the it's the expectation more than anything else I mean I, I think you know with Batman versus Superman I think you can expect Batman to be a little more grim by comparison, but if you put Superman in there with him, like you have to have the the lightness of Superman because he's always been sort of a lighter character. And I think probably some of the complaints about Man of Steel originally were that it was just you know too too heavy handed and too grim in that sense. And I think with when you bring up the Marvel movies, they kind of set up the expectation from the get go that it was going to be two or even three movies a year. Like they conditioned their audience for that expectation. And so now also you've broken out of that fans. expectation with Star Wars. You have different fans in Marvel, where some people really love Iron Man and say Captain America, but aren't so into Thor. Other people like Thor more than Ant Man. Everybody loves Guardians of the Galaxy, but that one is wildly different from the rest of the films and the connect connectivity. And then you've got the Avengers films, which bring together all of the fans. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So you're almost targeting different little. Fan- fandoms that coalesce in a, in a one of those Venn diagrams at a, at a number of different points. So Star Wars is is treading interesting ground. They're trying to give us more of what we love, and the trick is to make sure that we keep loving it. And now they're going to try and go potentially with the reverse direction by breaking out Han Solo into his movie in twenty uh, what is it twenty eighteen? I guess that's happening. And um, and if it's really true that it's a Boba Fett movie in twenty twenty. If they're even thinking about still doing <laughs> that, whatever the the shell Josh the Trank project for, was, for a long time, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, they're trying to reverse engineer that process basically and seeing how it works. And yeah, it's so people it, people are having their expectations messed with. Ultimately, is what it comes down to. And the the situation then becomes how loudly are people going to complain about this and what you know what does Lucasfilm have to decide to do in managing that perception window you know managing the perception of the franchise and the things that they're doing with it in a way that they still maintain a you know an active and beloved fan base and still court the new viewers and also probably the most confusing thing of all is you know going back 34 years you know how do people who are casual and new to the franchise you know, make sense of rogue one in light of the force awakens you know how do they manage that expectation well that's always a challenge uh, that i face too when i write about these things because you know you're you're speaking to two different groups the diehard fans who know everything and read every book and are totally up on the canon 
and the history and what's not canon anymore. And then there's the audience that's very casual about Star Wars. It likes the movies, you know, and also people who are new, you know. I think mm-hmm. as we get older, we think we assume everybody is fully versed. And, you know, if you're seven, eight years old, you, you know, you haven't existed at a time when Star Wars movies were coming out. And now you have The mm-hmm. Force Awakens, and now you have Rogue One. So I think every time I write one of these stories, I try to be conscious of that. And I think in print, we try very hard to just sort of bring, be very uh, open and, and, and accessible to people who are not uh, well-versed in the universe. Uh, and then online, we do a much deeper dive into specific things like Sagarera and other elements of the story. Mon Mothma is another example yep. of a character I really wanted to explore that I knew the fans would like, who's in Return of the Jedi for what, like five minutes? Right. Uh, if that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, you, I think, yeah, the studio, uh, you'd have to ask them about their marketing plan. I, I, I don't really know. I'm not privy to that kind of thing. But, yeah, you, you've got to you've got to bring in as many people as possible and to have the kind of box office numbers that these movies need in order to be viable and to, to break the kind of records that the force awakens broke. You don't do that with any diehard fan. You've got to have people from all walks of life and all levels of experience with this franchise coming into it. So yeah, I think the goal with the, um, spin-off films, the standalone films, is undoubtedly like, yeah, bring in the people who are casual Star Wars fans, just like Marvel has done, with people who are maybe not even comic book fans at all, but just like the movies. So, you know, that's what we're going to get with this film. This episode is brought to you by Constant Contact, the premier email marketing solution for small businesses and organizations. I've used their service since 2003, and over the past decade and a half, I've watched them evolve, make the product simpler, more powerful, easy to use, and do everything that they can to help train people to use the product more effectively and for it to work with other forms of marketing like social media, for example. So... Check out sw7x7.com slash email to learn more about Constant Contact and start a free trial. Once again, that is sw7x7.com slash email for a free trial. Welcome back. All right, so tomorrow is going to be part two of the interview with Anthony Bresnikin, where he will talk about, among other things, the hosting gig that he did for the Force Awakens panel at Celebration Anaheim, and a lot of other stuff too. And on Wednesday, I'm going to share the interview that I did with him at Celebration Orlando in 2017, where he shared his favorite Star Wars memory. But for today, though, that is going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining me for it, as always. And may the Force be with you, wherever in the world you may be. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.